Welcome back to Rob Gill's Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to learn how to take action on your financial future, click the link in our bio to speak to us directly. To learn more about how you can achieve financial freedom, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow Rob Gill all over social media. Financial freedom awaits. Okay, folks, I want to share with you my story and um, my experience recently in the Ukraine. Chris Krohn, the founder of the Krohn Breakthrough Foundation, had invited me on the humanitarian efforts that he was putting together with himself and, and 10 other individuals. And I was honored to, to be invited and I said yes immediately. And over the last three or four years, I had been donating a lot of money to different charities. And although it did feel good, the truth is, and, and I share this with everybody, I really had no idea where the money was going. And sometimes when people say to you, hey, if you donate to this charity, you get a write-off, probably not the right reason to do it, right? Me, as a person that's sober since July 1996, and the most beautiful thing about AA is that when you help another person achieve sobriety through the 12 steps, there's no greater feeling that and money can't buy it. So the story unfolds because in December, this past December, my son was cut from the, the JV basketball team and my son is, is about an average basketball player for his age group. Certain dynamics took place that we didn't anticipate, juniors coming down and freshmen coming up. And at the end of the day of the 12 kids, he was maybe 13 or 14, didn't make the team. And it was a moment in our family dynamics that, you know, we all rallied behind him because he said he wants to keep trying and he wants to give it all he's got. So as a result of that, my business, because of my partners and the folks that work within my business, we've created such a high level of efficiency and success that all of a sudden my time began to shift towards not only helping my son Rob, but also other kids that didn't make the team as well. And not even just from his high school, but other high schools. Why is this important? Because what happened is we went on a journey and the journey led to you know basketball for them in January and February during the high school season, all the way into spring AAU, which right now it's in the second week of June where we are as I shoot this video. And during that time, I remember feeling, and this is before Chris reached out to me, that I wanted to do more work. And I'm talking about human work. And it wasn't just good enough for me to write a check anymore. So he gave me the gift. I said yes. And going to Ukraine opened up so many different feelings, emotions, understandings, and dynamics. And I'm just going to invite you along on this and take you through some pictures and a little storytelling of what I went through and how I was feeling as I landed in each spot. So, you know, the first picture here is, is myself, uh, Sean, Andy, Chris, Lydia, Matt, Luis, Tony, and Nick, and behind the cameras, Weber. And um, what you see is a private jet. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about this for a reason because I want, and whoever listens to this, thank you so much because I'm gonna take you on a journey. The emotions behind 
a private jet is like, wow, being on a private jet, right? So anyone that writes goals, I used to write goals all the time. I still do it. I don't used to. I still write goals. And one of the goals was to be like on a private jet and be careful of intentionality and what you wish for because you, you'll get it. And for me, my private jet experience was going into the Ukraine, right? So as comfortable as the jet was and, and the way we all connected, it was still a feeling of convenience. Um, it was a feeling of, you know, you know, this is meant to be kind of thing. Like, you know, I, I deserve to be here. All the wrong emotions for what I was about to step into. And I'm taking you on this journey with me. And, and we'll go to the next spot where... So we landed in Sheshov, Poland, began to unload all of the supplies that actually were on the plane with us and took a trip to um, their version of a Costco where we began to buy even more food. Uh, we bought sugar, we bought pasta, we bought vegetables, you know, a supply that would fill up a whole truck. And then we went and stayed our first night in Hotel Gloria, which was in Poland. Now... The first night there, um, you know, I'm a guy that likes certain kind of foods and um, likes certain kind of things, and I love air conditioning, and and I love elevators, right? So once again, I'm taking you on my journey, and um, you know, we get to the hotel and and there's no elevator and there's no there's no uh, air conditioning, right? So so now it's about okay, so there is a world that I'm just not used to. And watching how people were in Poland, this is even before we got to the Ukraine, there was a there was a somber element. There was an element of, you know, I kind of felt like it reminded me after 9-11 because I used to work down on Broadway right around the corner from, from where the Twin Towers were. We call them the Twin Towers in New Jersey. And, um, and I remember that first three or four months, not only was there a military presence and that, like there was in Poland, um, but there was also like just a somber yet resilient mindset. And I was just catching up to where everybody was at coming from where I just came, which was in uh, New Jersey in America. So um, as we began to purchase these these different food supplies and begin to load the truck, we then spent the night in the Hotel Gloria. The next day we woke up and we made our way to Medica. Medica is on the border of Poland and the Ukraine. Now, to get into Ukraine by car, you're going to wait three or four hours. Probably it went back about 10 miles. And once again, any kind of plan, this ties into anything you do. If you if you want to do financial planning, you need to have a plan. You need to have a map. You need to have an understanding of where you are, where you want to go. Luis Vega, who's the director of the Crone Foundation, executive director, seen here with the big smile right in the front, he was the conduit of all of the different relationships on the boots on the ground that carried us through the next three or four days. So when you think about what I'm saying, it's we, we land into Poland, we bring supplies, we now get to the border, we can't drive over, we have to take our luggage and our bags and walk about a mile up a little bit of a hill from Poland to Ukraine going through customs on both sides, right? And um, it was hot and, you know, you're up and, and now your sleeping's out of whack and you're looking around. And at this point, being on the border, you see all the people that are coming from the Ukraine. There's folks that are getting displaced. Their houses are gone. Maybe their husbands passed away. Maybe their children are gone. Maybe maybe the wife passed away. Maybe the pets were gone. There was, there was an orphan of pets that I saw. Um, there was a level of sadness 
And it began to really melt my heart as I was going through each and every step of this journey that I want to share with you. And along the way, um, you know, you begin to connect with the people that you're with. And you're making this walk, you get through. There was a woman that was with us, Lydia, who I would say was the emotional barometer of who we are. Because as we got deeper and deeper, although she lives in America, she grew up in Poland. Her sadness in her heart was so present to all of us um, because you could see how it was affecting her as she saw each step that I'm going to take you through. So as we get through, this is leaving Poland and now we're heading into the Ukraine. You can see Chris and, and that's Weaver there as well. And that's Matt Andrews is back. And to the right of Chris, you could see uh, Lydia's shoulder. We're now about to go into the Ukraine. And this is where, although I've seen a lot of sadness at this point, you know, this is where the dynamic really begins to change. So right across the border, uh, we meet this gentleman by the name of Wojtek. Wojtek is a, he's in the IT space. Him and his wife, when the war started, decided to go to this spot right in the Ukraine, right at the border to help people. And a hundred days later, he is still there. And let me tell you a little bit about Wojtek. Wojtek and his wife have created the Ukrainian Refugee Rescue Compound, which you can see here. And what's amazing about him and his wife is their commitment. And this is where we're beginning to see that when money goes into a, um, when you donate money, you could actually see where the money's going. And there was no better feeling when we were able to not only feel and hear his story and understand that he came for three days and is still there 100 days later and he's not leaving and the impact he's had on people. Um, when people would, because when, when it first started, it was real cold. Remember, this was 100 days ago. And the fact that they were able to feed them, give them some shelter for a night or two, um, be able to give comfort to folks before they went into Poland. You know, these are the displaced folks. These are the these are the refugees, not including the displaced folks. And his mission um, was simply incredible. And I remember when we saw him last, you know, we had given him some extra donations. And he said, and we specifically said, take this out. It wasn't we, it was it was my partner, Sean. Callagy said, make sure you take your wife and kids out, um, you know, for a nice meal. It was an incredible gesture. Um, and just to see like what humanity really looks like and the resiliency of how people, when they care for other people and just saving lives was an incredible thing. And that's what Voitech represented. When you look at the compound, there was, there was places upstairs in a compound that had multiple beds for people to lay in. Um, and you know, just spend time there before they were able to, to move on and um, take their next step of their journey. One of the things that we were able to purchase for the folks on the front line was these chest protectors. You could see Lydia holding it in the front row. Um, Sean's holding one up with his two hands. Uh, Wojtek's in the picture with his wife and his, his couple of children and one of Wojtek's partners holding the Ukrainian flag. And this is where, like, you know, what you begin to realize is the folks of the Ukraine don't want to leave at all. They're fighting for their house. They're fighting for their city. They're fighting for their county. And obviously, they're fighting for their country. So in this scene right here, what you see is Chris Crone um, showing Wojtek and his wife not only some of the supplies. And if you look at Wojtek's wife, she's covered her mouth, right? Like Lydia is there. And I said Lydia is, is the emotional barometer of the group because she has a sense of everything much greater than we do. 
Um, and you could just see the pure joy. And then inside of the compound, there's tents with all the food supplies that are just constantly coming in and then going out to the front lines and to all the different people that we can get the food to. Spending at least two hours at Voitex compound and seeing the impact that he is having and, and the emotion of him and his wife and, and the kids that were there, they were jumping on the beds and the joy that they had. They, there was a sense of safety for them, um, but you knew that there was risk all around. And um, this is just 100 feet inside of Ukraine. From there, we jumped into a van. And once again, like I said, if you have a map, if you have boots on the ground, if you have high-level communication, I'm not making this about wealth management, but I am going to draw the analogy that if you have a real team around you, you can cut through and expedite your process like we did. And fortunately, we had a phenomenal team. Luis Vega put together that team. And what you see when we first land in Lviv, we had the good fortune of meeting Andy Milburn. Andy Milburn is the, is the founder of the Mozart Group. Their primary mission of the Mozart Group is to increase the capability and sustainable capacity of the Ukrainian military, by the way, consistent with U.S. foreign policy. In addition, the Mozart Group aims to protect vulnerable segments of the civilian population, which I'm going to show you in a little bit. At the end of the day, their number one priority is to assist the Ukrainian people with restoring sovereignty and territorial integrity of their country while building long-term capacity. So as you begin to discover, Andy Milburn has 31 years experience in the military. He's a colonel. And at the end of the day, his ability to have tracks, his ability to have a, a guidance strategy on how to get from A, B to C in the most efficient manner, we began to realize over the next two or three days. So as we began to really kind of meet the different folks, you can see a picture with the, a couple of the people that have their boots on the ground, part of um, Allied Extract, the humanitarian efforts, which is part of Harvey's group. Harvey's a gentleman that we met who has had massive, massive experiences, in, U in not only in the Ukraine, but in Afghanistan, where when we left Afghanistan, he was able to save up to 400 people and get them out of the country um, before it was completely shut down. He then began to take those same efforts, brought it over to the Ukraine, and has connected with uh, Andy Milburn and his team along the way. So some of the different supplies that we brought, you know, a lot of, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, who made the other products, but they weren't strong enough to sustain the fighters on the front line. Once again, we're still here. We're in Lviv at our hotel, but you can see Chris demonstrating the different supplies and the different gear for the folks that are on the front line that could keep them as healthy as possible. There are approximately 500 people, including the ones that get killed and injured every day that are being affected by the, by the war that are Ukraine soldiers. And these supplies can help them out tremendously. So after I had the good fortune of meeting the folks of Allied Extract, Harvey and his team, as well as the Mozart Group, which was Andy Milburn and his team, you know, the guys, the gals, we went to a supermarket to go buy some more food for an orphanage. And I'm just going to show one picture, but an orphanage that was filled with women and children who had lost their dads or brothers either to the war or are in the battle of the war. And this is a real thing that's happening every day. Emotionally, 
I was far from the private jet. I was far from the hotel in um, in Poland, and I really began to um, to find myself in a place of gratitude, sadness, um, just wanting to give and serve. Um, truly, truly not being able to comprehend what was happening and truly wanting to make a difference any way I can. If it was one person a day for the six days that I was there, even now when I come home on how to have an impact on that person to help make their world a better place. And that's been my outcome as I've gone through this journey. So once we leave Lviv, we get on a train, an eight hour train ride from Lviv to Kiev. Kiev is the capital. And um, in this train ride, there was, you know, beds. I'd never seen that before. I'd only seen it on, on James Bond's movies um, or Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. But that was the only, I've never seen it. So I'm in a train right now and I'm in a cart. It's a lot tighter. Um, you know, I'm with two of my brothers, Matt and Andy. And, um, and I'm also with uh, Sean. And here's a picture of me and Sean when we first get to Kiev. Now, this is probably like 7 in the morning Kiev time. Um, so we, we went through the night, not a lot of sleep at all. You know, one of the first places we went to was where the, one of the battles didn't take place and they recovered the Ukrainian people. Some of the tanks that were on the outskirts of the city when they were able to kind of move the Russians back out. And, um, this sign said it all world come help us. And what's interesting, and I want everybody to know this as best as I possibly could share this. The Ukrainian people are not looking for a handout. I promise you. They are proud people that love their country and love their freedom. And when they say help, they're not looking for like, give me money, although money does help for supplies. They're looking for the proper weapons that they can have to defend themselves. They're not looking to go take over any other country. They're not looking to get into any other, anyone else's business. These are people that just 115 days ago some of them were probably at their kitchen table writing out their game plan for the next six months, maybe for the next six years. And then seemingly out of nowhere, although the writing was on the wall, I'm sure, just one day, an illegal occupation took place. And I think that that picture really kind of sums it up. And, and as a result of it, you know, we were fortunate enough to go see a, a, an Orthodox Catholic church one of the most beautiful churches I've ever seen. Um, incredible, incredible sight. This church was the scene of a horrific atrocity. Behind this church, there was over 400 women and children executed, men, women, and children, civilians executed and buried. It was on the news about a month or two ago. We don't hear about it anymore. Um, the level of sadness in there because as I understand it, and once again, I'm not an expert, I'm not an authority on this, but as I understand it, the Russian soldiers, very young, uh, the most immature ones of, of the group were, were intoxicated and throughout the night began to uh, commit these atrocities. And inside there, I think I lit like 30 or 40 candles. On one side, you can light candles for the people that are alive. And on the other side, you could, you could light candles for the people that have passed away in your life or whoever you wanted to light it for. And I just remember being inside that church, the level of faith I was witnessing in there by those people, both young and old. It was an incredible emotional sight. And now, two, three days in, my emotional state is no longer focused on private jets, 
it's no longer focused on air conditioning. It's no longer focused on, um, you know, what item I could purchase. It's all about what can I give and who can I give it to. And that continued to grow as I went through this trip. Um, and part of what we just saw uh, as well was there's a bunch of flags. You saw all these little mini flags. And these flags represented the civilians of Ukraine up until that day that had been killed, which was about 7,400. I'm not talking about the military, as well as the um, civilians of non-Ukrainian people, which was about 75. And they, they, they made this little spot for them. Um, and as we journeyed through Kiev more and more, this archway reminded me a little bit of St. Louis. Right beyond that archway was a bridge. And as I, as I said, that the missiles had just hit a, a neighborhood not too far from there, and you could see here right over my shoulder that there was smoke in the background, which was a bridge that was connected to this archway. And in that bridge, off of that bridge, I just remember thinking, wow, every no one's moving, no one's thinking, hey, should I get off this bridge? It was almost like business as usual, resiliency, that it almost seemed like the folks were like, okay, today's missile, it got out of the way, we didn't get hit, Let's go check it out, make sure we're safe, and, and, and now it's time to go have lunch. And my only thought was, imagine living in New York City, and you're going to take your, your son, your daughter to a game or, or, or play, and there's always the fear that there could, a missile could hit at any point, but now that the missile hit already, okay, now it's safe to go to the game. That's how I felt watching that. I remember me and Sean looking like, hey, should we get off this bridge? And nobody was budging, and everybody was looking to see where the smoke was. I'm sharing this with you just to give you some kind of feeling. That's how I felt at the time. So as you're living your everyday life, and by the way, this isn't about you feeling shameful or guilty at all. I'm just sharing my journey and telling you along the way where, where I, had to re, I had to take a different look at myself and understand what was important and what wasn't. From there, you know, the folks of Andy Milburn and um, Allied Extract took us to a town called Bucha, which was in the news about a month or two ago. Here's another example in Bucha where a tank pulled up to this one little neighborhood and began to blow out um, different rooms and different parts of these buildings. And this is the stuff, like you just look at these trees right down there, they remind me of trees right here in New Jersey, and behind it is a building that's just getting massacred. What you see here now is Lydia, once again, the mother, the emotional barometer of the trip, the, the person that understood the atrocities more, more than all of us, I would say. She's here, you know, putting a rose at like a monument that was created because right behind that was where all the bodies were found. And this, once again, was behind the church, a very sad, somber scene. You know, once again, these are images of, you know, Bucha itself and the destruction that was caused and this is what, this is what I'm not going to say it's a war because it's an occupation, an illegal one, but this is what it looks like in the aftermath of uh, conflict. Once again, there's more pictures here of just buildings that were blown apart by the tankers. And this, just imagine if you lived in a, in a building or, or a condo complex and a tank came rolling down the street, because remember, this was on the outskirts of Kiev. They had to buckle down in Kiev, and these towns were exposed. And as a result of it, this is what it looks like. 
So after we left Bucha, we took another 20-minute ride to a town called Irpin. Once again, the towns on the outskirts of Kiev were the ones that were exposed to these atrocities. And here in Irpin, what was interesting is the civilians fought back and pushed the army away. But before that, there was fighter jets that had launched missiles, different than tanks, fighter jets that had launched missiles. And you could see the destruction um, that happened here. As a matter of fact, when some of these buildings, like a couple days afterwards, let's say the fires were out, there was folks that were still living in half of their houses. Like, this was a real thing. And, um, you know, this is where, towards the end of our journey, remember, we had to go back to Kiev. We then had to take another eight-hour train ride back to uh, Lviv, then a two-hour ride back to the airport in Poland to take back off to come back home. But right here at the end, you know, Andy Milburn, who is the person that is the direct contact for the soldiers that are on the front lines, as well as to be able to extract humans out of towns that are about to get taken over by Russia, because here's where it's at now. And this is important, folks. You have Russia, right? And then right across Russia, there's towns that are massively exposed right now. And each day, one mile at a time, Russia is taking over the Ukraine. Then there's a river, and then after the river are these towns like Irpin, these towns like Bucha, and it eventually leads to Kiev. And as we understand it, uh, not only do the soldiers on the front lines basically have you know, ramen noodles to eat, but their equipment is horrible, which is why we brought in our own equipment that is much more sustainable and can take much more of an impact than their current stuff. What Andy does is has the direct links to get over the water, over the river, and have an impact on those towns right by the Russian border with massive corruption going on in Ukraine. You hear about all these NGOs, these national government organizations that are saying that they're helping. They can't get to the places that Andy's getting to right now. So I know that my money or, or anyone that donated on my page, I know exactly where and who the money is going to who the person's credentials are, what impact they're having, and where they've done this before. And this is why it feels, I wanted to send this message out to everybody because it's important that you all understand that whether it's Ukraine, whether it's the homeless in America, whether it's Afghanistan, Burma, or South Africa, at the end of the day, you want to know where your money's going. Um, Red Cross, you want to know how it's impacting people because there is a lot of money grabs there's a lot of um, folks out there that take advantage of these situations. And when you begin to hear when a humanitarian crisis happens and people come in on private jets and extract kids for sexual slavery, it's a real thing, you begin to look at the world a little bit differently. Um, as of last week, there's 120,000 missing children from the Ukraine that is being reprogrammed into the Russian army as we speak. That's what's happening. You know, so as we all, once again, no shame, go about our business raising our families. And some of us may have more privileges than others. In the real world, if you don't prepare your family for what could happen, it's important to be able to share the message. 
Um, anyone that paid attention this whole way through, I want to thank you so much. If anybody has any questions on how they can help, go ahead below and click the link. There'll be a donation button because we are now taking this show on the road. We'll be going to places like Burma, South Africa, and Afghanistan and being able to help whoever, whenever, and however we can with the group of people that we're aligned with. And, you know, Tony Robbins says it best, the art of living is given. I'm not asking you to reach in your pocket and change and not pay your rent or your mortgage. What I'm simply saying is, if it's in your heart, if it's something where you know you want to make a difference, where you may not want to go to Ukraine, but you genuinely want to know where your money's going, this is what it looks like. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, I wanted to send this video out. Video out. It's different than you know financial education, but it's so close to mine and all the members of Epic's hearts that you know we wanted to share it with you. I can't thank enough all of the people that have donated already. Um, you know, I wrote a check out of my pocket as well, north of forty thousand dollars, and I continue and will continue to match donations because this is something that is so dear to my heart, saving lives and being able to know that your money or your team or your alliances have had an impact on that is such a wonderful gift. And I would love for all of you to have the feeling that I have and the understanding that I have um, because this, and I'll go back to the beginning, reminds me of what it's like to help somebody get sober one day at a time. And humanity, touching one soul from another soul to another soul, is exactly how God communicates to people. Thank you for listening. That's it for today with Rob Gill and the Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. Be sure to hop to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe and tune into all the podcasts. Also, be sure to follow the Rob Gill YouTube channel and Rob Gill social media channels. We'll see you on the next podcast.